This is the Education Gadfly Show. People like to hate on the blondes, but we run the world. What does Gadfly say? This is your host, Alyssa Schwenk of the Thomas B. Fordham Institute, here at the Education Gadfly Show and online at edexcellence.net. And now, please join me in welcoming my co-host, the Kim Kardashian West of Education Reform, <laughs> Brandon Wright. Have yeah. you been following this Kim and Kanye on one side and Taylor Swift on the other side, like brewing online. I, I read a breakdown feud. of the Snapchat video on the ringer. It's, it's basically impossible to avoid commentary on this stuff. If you're at all like on Twitter, on the internet, internet. Or watch television or anything. So. Right. I think that yeah. to me is kind of the biggest takeaway. I don't really watch keeping up with the Kardashians, but you know, I woke up on Monday morning after a blissful night of sleep and just this entire feud and this Snapchat video of this phone conversation. It was just everywhere. Like every single media site I use has a link in an article and an explainer about it. It's crazy. People like this stuff. They certainly do. And so now, as we turn to our new Ed Reform uh, update segment of our show, we're going to welcome in David Griffith, who I guess that makes you the Taylor Swift of education reform today. Hair. I guess it does. Yeah, you know, people like to hate on the blondes, but we run the world. <laughs> uh, all right. So, you know, let's talk education reform. And I think moving from the world of entertainment and what's dominating the news there into education, something that's huge in the news right now is the Republican National Conventioning happening in our home state of Ohio in Cleveland right now. Sort of entertainment too. Sort of entertainment too. Uh, there's certainly been, it's certainly not been without controversy. Um, but one of my biggest questions as I've been following this coverage is what does the uh, RNC platform, which was released earlier this week, mean for education reform? Uh, Trump also selected Mike Pence as his running mate over the weekend, which is also slightly controversial. Uh, lead up and build out. Do, is there anything in the platform or in Pence's positions or in Trump's positions that can give us kind of a clue of where education reform might go under a Trump-Pence administration? I mean, personally, I think Trump's and Pence's stances are more important than the platform. Mm -hmm. um, I've heard a lot of people say, and our colleague Shekhar Finn said this in a recent article, mm -hmm. um, there's not a lot of evidence that platforms really influence policy all mm -hmm. All that much, I'm not an expert there, but um, if you look at what Trump and Pence have said, Trump hasn't said all that much, but he's clearly in support of of um, school choice, wants kind of a smaller federal role. Um, Pence agrees with both of those things. Um, Pence is very pro-charter, pro-voucher. Mm -hmm. They're both sort of anti-common core, mm -hmm. um, although a lot of people have said that Indiana's standards were more of a rebrand than sort of mm -hmm. an, an, an alteration of the common core, which they dropped. So um, it just kind of seems like they'll move to kind of more local control, um, school choice, kind of what, what Essa's pushing us to anyways already. Yeah. yeah. So yeah can I offer a just counterintuitive uh, point of view here, which is counterintuitive. Well, maybe not counterintuitive, but I'm not sure it matters. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know about you guys, but I do not vote for president based on education. Uh, and that's triply true now that we've passed ESSA. And I don't know. I mean, is there a, what, what is the most consequential thing that might reasonably be passed by a Congress or be regulated in the next like eight years on education? It seems like it's I just mean, a state issue. I mean, I think as always, the presidential role in education is largely a bully, bully pulpit issue and it signals what's important as a nation. Interesting choice of words. Uh, <laughs> fair. Touche. Um, but no, it's so 
ESSA has long has already kind of moved the education debate back to the states. Pence is a former state administrator. Uh, Mike would argue that a lot of his kind of victories around school choice are kind of just continuing the Mitch Daniels policies that were in Indiana before Pence took office in 2012. But I do think, you know, it's a signaling issue and who the president is signals what kind of issues will be important in education. I don't know. I'm not a presidential scholar, certainly. I'd say also that if the Republicans are successful in reducing the size of the Department of Education, that that could actually change things, right? There there would be less funding attached to specific things. Um, Whether they can do that is a big question, but if they did, I could see that actually further pushing um, control to states. But yeah, yeah, but you know, I would kind of agree with, I think the point that both of you guys have made, which is like, does it actually matter in terms of what's on the platform? And I was reading through the platform, which was lengthy. It's 58 pages if you try and download it. And it's kind of, it reminds me of like, you know, your grandmother's Christmas tree where it's like all of these ornaments kind of get hung because, you know, your uncle liked one of them and your cousin made one of them and your dad had this photo and turned it into an ornament and you're attaching a lot of stuff to it. It's pretty heavy and who knows if it's actually going to like, it doesn't necessarily form the thrust of a potential administration. Right. True. Right. So another thing that I was reading this week that I thought was pretty interesting was Nebraska announced that it might be replacing its state tests with the ACT or the SAT instead for its high school juniors. Do you think that do you guys think this would be beneficial to high schoolers? Why or why not? David's sort of a testing expert. <laughs> uh, I, am I now? Uh, look, I, I am I wish not you a could testing see e- the look on David's <laughs> face right now. I, I am not a testing expert. I, I think what I would say is um you know, I kind of I kind of feel for for states here. We're, we're caught in a catch twenty two. I think where we have this problem. I think that a lot of teachers feel where high school kids, when they take mandated tests, right for the state. Like, I don't know about you, but if I were a high school kid, I wouldn't care about the outcome of that. I would care about the the tests that actually matter to get into college. Yeah. Right. SAT, and, ACT, AP tests. Right. And what's crazy in America is that those two things, those are two different things, right? And where we're trying to get to is a point where we're simultaneously assessing high schoolers' skills uh, and, you know, giving them the sort of key to get into college. Um, but we're, we're caught in this catch-22 where we're trying to raise standards, right? We've got these new tests that, um, you know, we think are linked to better standards, we think are better tests, but colleges haven't yet adopted those really as, as a means of getting into college. Um, so for your average kid, it's still the SAT or the ACT. Um, and, and somehow we just have to get to the point where colleges and high schools agree on what it means to be college ready. Can we all we, just get along? Right. Uh, and, and so we either have to stick with smarter balance and SBAC long enough for that to filter up to the post-secondary world, or we can abandon the whole thing, I suppose, uh, and, and go back to, to whatever chaos we were doing before. Well, so how about for kids uh, for whom college doesn't make sense? Yeah, I mean, I, I agree. Or, well, go ahead. No, go ahead. <laughs> Somebody go. No. Anyways, no. The point that I was going to make was doesn't. It's not necessarily a question of it doesn't make sense for them. It's more of a question of preparation. But neither, that's kind of a tangent. Yeah. Well, I think it's an open question, right? I mean, I, I, we obviously we care about what those kids are learning, right? Um, sure. And and we hope that they care. But your average seventeen year old may not particularly care, or he may not particularly care about how accurately you're measuring that. And, and so I I think. I don't know if we need different tests. Um, I think we probably can use the same test and engage the same set of skills. 
but yeah, I think I think ideally, obviously, we wouldn't be giving yet another set of tests, Mm -hmm. one for college and one for career ready, right? right? We want one test that measures both. One Um, ring to rule them all. Yes. Yeah. I mean, so my question is always like, are we entirely 100% sure that these tests are measuring college and career readiness? Certainly we, a couple of months ago at Fordham, took a look at Park Smarter Balanced ACT Aspires tests and the MCAS test as an alignment. And we didn't look at either of those. And these tests haven't really been evaluated. And certainly colleges have been using them as entrance exams for years and that's important function of them but i think there is an element of we should vet them we should have the new sat and the new act evaluated to ensure just for everyone's you know peace of mind that they are indeed measuring college and career readiness um but the other thing that i would add is that nebraska wasn't using um a consortia test park or smarter before this they're now switching over to likely act or sat And, you know, I don't think it's a bad idea necessarily to have the kids taking an ACT or SAT as colleges are, you know, still using those as their entrance exams. Like having that on your record, even if you're not planning or don't think you're going to college right after high school, like having taken it, I think, is a good thing to have to fall back on, perhaps. Sure. And and you wouldn't have to pay for it either, which I think you currently do. You have to pay to take the SAT, ACT? Yeah, I think they offer vouchers. I'm not 100% sure on that, but generally, yeah, it's an admissions fee test, which is, you know, sometimes a barrier for a kid from a low-income background. Sure. Cool. All right. I think Audrey is waving at me, so that means that's all the time we have this week for the Ed Reform Update. Next Up next, Amber's Research Minute. And we're back with Amber's Research Minute. Welcome to the show, Amber. Thank you, Alyssa. All right. So we were discussing earlier the Taylor Swift versus Kim and Kanye kind of feud that has taken over the internet. You aware of it though? And I... I said, you don't have Twitter. You are blissfully off Twitter, which I think is a great place to be. I think that you have luckily avoided all conversation about this. I mean, I have not kept up with this at all. Uh, Or the RNC RNC convention. Um, I have not heard of it at all. Is that terrible? (laughs) No, I think it would be great. It's actually good. I think it bodes well. It is the state you should be in. bodes well for our country that not everyone (laughs) in the whole world has heard of this. I'm completely void of pop culture. Culture, but I've just happened to have missed that one. So it's a, of all of the things, that one I think is a good one to miss. Right, but good. that's just me. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, what do you got for us this week? All right, we got a new study out by Mathematica that examines whether principal evaluations are accurate predictions of principal effectiveness. We, we need this, right? Ooh. This is very. This is good. Um, researchers have done like all this work on, well, not all, but they've done a decent chunk of work on teacher evaluation measures to see whether they, you know, relate to student achievement. So this one is just an important study. It looks at a principal evaluation measure called the Framework for Leadership or FLL that was developed by the Pennsylvania Department of Education as part of a mandated revision of the principal evaluation process passed by the state legislature in 2012. So in other words, 
you know, this was something that the state had to do. Um, and they basically, it's a tool that superintendents or other district folks use to evaluate principals. It has 20 leadership practices. Kind of reminds me of the Charlotte Danielson thing. It's really long. Okay. That was the teacher one that had like yeah, teacher one. 86 components really or something. Long. Yeah. This one's 20. Um, it has four domains that they consider important in order to raise student achievement. Uh, and we'll go talk about these a little bit in a minute, but they're called strategic cultural leadership, systems leadership, leadership for learning and professional and community leadership. So lots of kinds of leadership. <laughs> uh, they use data from a pilot implementation of the FFL during 2013, 2014. It had no consequences tied to it incidentally because they were piloting it. It used 300 data from 305 principals. Um, who they had suitable data. They had test score data for a bunch of kids um, as well. So they have reading, math. I could go on forever about the methods, but I won't. Um, but the one thing I will say, because this is like an important little methods thing, is that a principal, there's a lot of things that principals can't control in a school, right? Mm -hmm. So in order to account for these various school level factors that are outside of their control, they compared the school's value added before the arrival of the sampled principal with the high, with the value added of the current year, school year. Huh. Okay. Okay. So they assume that all that other stuff that we can't measure is going to be remain you know, constant in, in right in the prior year before the principal got there. Um. So anyway, key findings: the FLL scores are positively correlated with value added estimates. Great news. More so in math than in other subjects. The strongest links are in the areas of system leadership. And then I'm like, what is that? Okay. <laughs> so it's things like establishing and implementing expectations for students and staff. Like huh. that's important, right? <laughs> what mm -hmm. do you expect? Uh, another one is ensuring a high quality, high performing staff. So you actually you know, either hire or get them up to speed. And then the other thing, this professional and community leadership are things like shows professionalism. So I guess you want your principal to act like a professional. <laughs> I Seems have like so many that, stories yeah. back from back in the day. Seems important. <laughs> and supports professional growth of staff, which is great, right? Like you get to go to PD, your principal mm -hmm. wants you to get better. Um, and then they dug into did a bunch of subgroup analyses and they found that the results were mostly driven by principals with at least three years of tenure at their school. Okay. Uh, also makes sense because we got all this research that shows that it takes, you know, a while, multiple years for a, t a principal to start having measurable impact mm -hmm. in the school. Um, what else does I have in here? The bottom line for me is I thought it was pretty encouraging mm -hmm. because, you know, we actually the practices and behaviors of principals when it correlates to student achievement, like that's a good thing, right? They are right. beginning to understand what it means to be an effective principal. So that's good news. I mean, I guess the only thing, and we could talk about policy a little bit is, you know, our principal evaluation is going to go by the wayside here. Um, mm -hmm. We don't really know what S is going to do, if anything, relative mm -hmm. to the principal evaluation arena. Mm -hmm. So, Is it quiet on the issue? Um, I'm not sure, I'm actually. I'm not sure either, actually. I mean, I think it's interesting because so many people are taking it as we don't have to include uh, student performance and teacher evaluations anymore, which is absolutely true. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm less familiar with whether it says anything about principal evaluations. Interesting. So, so states should try to focus on this then, or should try to not include it. Right. Or I think just not, not um, demean it. Right. Okay. Not okay. think it's yeah. not important. Not think, I mean, because I think before we thought, gosh, we have mm -hmm. no idea what an effective principal is. Sort of mm -hmm. like where we are with teachers, right? Mm -hmm. sure. We're trying to nail jello to the wall, but I feel like with this one, it has these 20 discrete <laughs> 
principles and some of them are starting to show a relationship. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not a causal study. It's not mm-hmm. experimental, yada, yada. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's Mathematica. I think they go into a lot of detail about how they tried to control for these things outside mm-hmm. of principles control. And it was a solid study. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I think the only thing for me is always with evaluations is always to like make sure that they're being used in a really like supportive and encouraging way that mm-hmm. like actually creates change versus like a high stakes way where it's, you know, we saw this with teacher evaluations where as soon as really strong stakes began to get attached to it and then you hear all of these stories of like art teachers being held accountable for like the preschool's progress, preschoolers right. progress and yeah. just like making sure that we use these in like really thoughtful ways, yeah, I think and, is and we key. know that like we always, we hold up DC, you know, mm-hmm. we're all sad about Kaya Henderson leaving, but most people say like she and Mich- she built on them the legacy mm-hmm. of Michelle Ree. She was there for what? She was five years, five, years five and a half. Yeah. yeah. And she so. had time, like this study saying, you know, she had some time. We're mm-hmm. talking about chancellor here, not a principal, but I think it's a similar, you know, analogy here. Um, and you've got to give them a little bit of time. You know, we just instantly want to see these state, these scores bump up. Um, but it just, it doesn't always work that way. And I would argue that if it, they do bump immediately, it doesn't mean it's necessarily lasting. Like you really got to build a strong foundation right. for a school and for a leader. That's right. And we need to trust if Mike were here, he'd say, we need to trust the principals, not hamstring them, give them autonomy. Mm-hmm. You know, if we don't think that they're the mm-hmm. right person for the job, they shouldn't be in the job in the first place. Mm-hmm. But once we feel like, okay, we're confident in this person, we should let them fly, fly, fly and do their job. <laughs> Trust your hire. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Makes sense. For sure. All right. Well, thank you so much, Amber. That was fascinating. Yes, ma'am. All right. Uh, that's all the time that we have for this week's Gadfly Show. Till next week. I'm Brandon Wright. And I'm Alyssa Schwenk for the Thomas B. Fordham Institute signing off. The Education Gadfly Show is a production of the Thomas B. Fordham Institute located in Washington, D.C. For more information, visit us online at edexcellence.net. 